So my name is John C. I serve here at Door of Hope. I'm part of the teaching staff here. I also help lead community groups, and I also get to take part in this school called Night School. It's a young adults uh, group that meets on Thursday nights at Door of Hope Northeast. If you're interested, come hang out with us. I've been at Door of Hope now for three years, so that's pretty wild. <laughs> so let's uh, get to the word. Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Why? For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom and Cush and Seba in your stead. It's beautiful to read this passage, but so many times it just remains head knowledge, right? So I see that in this passage, he's the Savior of Israel. And also I see through Scripture, he's our Savior, but it's, it stays right here. But the comforting fact I want to challenge you guys with today is he is with you. Has anyone heard of the small indie uh, student film called Saving Private Ryan? You guys did laugh. That's good. If you didn't laugh, it'd be wild. But <laughs> so this small film directed by Steven Spielberg, hopefully you can make a career out of this whole directing thing. But... Um, is about this Captain Miller, played by Tom Hanks, who leads a squad of soldiers through World War II. Uh, I believe they start off in the movie Normandy, which is northern France. They're attacking the beaches, and their ultimate goal is to save Private Ryan. Why is Private Ryan important? Well, he lost three brothers in the war, and the U.S. government does not want the entire line of Ryan's to be wiped out. It's an incredible movie, very rated R, so don't watch it with your family. <laughs> but I remember like watching it, and there's a scene that struck me. Uh, Tom Hanks, Captain Miller, is fighting off the enemy. He's mortally wounded. He's laying there bleeding out, and Private Ryan walks up to him, trying to help make a difference. And Tom Hanks' final words are simply this. Earn it. Earn it. It cuts back to Private Ryan, and this young, battle-hardened young man face fades into an old man. And he's no longer in the battlefield of France, but he's at a military graveside. And with tears in his eyes, he's wrestling with the same challenge. Has he earned it? Now, if you look behind him, he has this beautiful family, this wife, 
this, his sons, daughters, grandkids, one could argue, seems like he's had a pretty nice life. He's made something of himself. But there he is with tears in his eyes, wondering, has he earned it? He asks his wife, am I a good man? What would our response be? Say if we, someone gave such a sacrificial gift to us. So as much as I can theologically look at Private Ryan and be like, bro, gotta accept it. Gotta accept it. I quickly am like, no, I need to earn it. I need to show that I have worth, that I've made a difference. Which is having the theology of grace in my head, but not having the intimacy that grace beckons us into in my heart. That's kind of awkward being on a church staff, to be admitting that. That's my struggle. So a couple weeks ago, we're in a preaching cohort with, with Josh White at his house, and it is always a good time. We talk about an array of different things, and also on the finer points of teaching. But Josh walks in and he goes, I listened to all your guys' sermons, and he said, I want to give you guys some encouragement and some critiques. Me being me, you can give me the encouragement. That's nice. Uh, man's praise is perfume. It smells good, but you should not drink it. So I'll push that to the side. But I'm like, what is Josh going to say? And I have this fear welling up because I've been here for three years, but really, like, I have no connection to Portland. Like, I have a friend that lives in Beaverton. No one knew me at uh, Door of Hope, except for Josh taking a chance on me because he met me at this college on, at, on the coast. So I'm like, is this going to be when he lets me go? <laughs> because I came up with the list pretty fast. Okay, so one, I have this speech impediment. So when I get nervous and stressed or it gets really cold, the English language will disappear from my grasp. Kind of awkward if you're me teaching. Um, when it comes to social justice, my heart burns very bright for that. Which, social justice does matter. But something I've been learning as being on staff here at Dwarf Hope is we should be about God's justice, but we should be amazed by his mercy. I've learned a lot. Uh, what else? I can get lost in teaching or studying, kind of like obsessive. Uh, one, I wear too much bling. I know. I was at a small group one time, and someone was pointing that out, and I died laughing because... I come from, uh, I'm from Illinois, I'm from a pig farm. My family wears overalls and camouflage, and they go to Walmart in pig boots. And I remember when I was a kid growing up, uh, I wanted to dress up to go to Walmart, because that was high society for me. Get your Sunday best on. So like, it'd, it'd be so funny for you guys to see me with my family, because I do wear all this, and it's fun, but my family is just super, just simple, God-loving pig farmers. So we say all that. He goes, instead of anything that I said on my list, maybe I'm too ambitious or I tend to overwork, so the idea of being a Christian and resting is extremely hard for me. He said something far more cutting. John C., you struggle to accept the grace that God offers and the reality that God loves you. 
there went my list. Now the list, I was very committed to working on and excited. I love a challenge. But what Josh pointed out in such a loving way went to the core of my identity. It made me wildly uncomfortable because it was not an easy fix. And my solution to most challenges is earning it, proving my worth, showing that I will show God that I'm worthy of his grace, which is wild. So today's topic is grace. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all of our sin. Uh, I think it's G.K. Chesterton, that gangster goes. God's grace is incongruent. It goes to places where it least belongs. It's incongruent. It goes to places where it least belongs. So what is grace? Well, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Or 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. These verses are going going right to the core of it is not about what I can do. And when you're coming to a church community, and I'm not sure what your guys' background is with church. Your story is a privilege to hear, not a right. Some of you have probably been hurt by the church. And some of that hurt can possibly come from the reality of we can't be honest about our faults together. We can't be honest in the fact of I am a great sinner and I serve a greater Savior. And the fact of uh, when I get to hear about your brokenness and I share about my own brokenness, how can we not be amazed about how great our Savior is? But what we do, we flip it in the fact of, whoa, bro, that's messed up. That's messed up. Well, so uh, what do you struggle with, though? I mean, I used to sin a little bit ago. I stopped. It wasn't good for the heart. So grace in Christian theology is the spontaneous unmerited gift of divine favor. In salvation of sinners, a divine influence operating in individuals for their regeneration and sanctification. So God's grace does not merely just save you, but it plays a key role in sanctification, having us become more like Christ. Let me get some water. It's great. One of the key elements of being here at Door of Hope, I'll put it this way. So I was at this um, pastor's kind of think tank in Chicago a couple years back, and there's this pastor who, I think he was actually serving up in Seattle and flown in for like the meeting, you know, and I'm very much not important at all. Like I'm, I'm friends with this pastor who's kind of mentoring me in Chicago, so I'm just a fly on the wall. But I remember uh, this guy going, yeah, we just stopped focusing on preaching grace at our church. I was like, what? Because my upbringing is being a fundamental Baptist, okay? Like King James only, went to bed at 8.30 every night, 
Um, I thought it was a sin to go to movie theaters. That's wild. <laughs> I go to a lot now. <laughs> Some quality um, flicks out there. And also, I want no, uh, I want no, um, no one coming to me about ruining the end of Safe and Private Ryan. It came out in 1998, guys. That's not on me. That's on you. <laughs> so anyways, I'm in this meeting, and <laughs> I'm in this meeting, and this guy's like, yeah, I'm done preaching grace. And my warning alert goes on, because I struggled with being this closet legalist, and I longed to drink deeply of grace, so when someone pushes against grace, I'm like, we're not having that here. But then he says something pretty profound. At our church, we're going to preach the, preach the cross. You cannot have grace outside the cross. One of the fun things about being here at Door of Hope on staff is, to the best of our ability, you will hear the gospel every week. Every week. Doesn't matter what passage we'll be going through. It may be just conversations in the back, but we are a church, this motley crew, that takes the beauty of the cross so seriously, and it should bleed into how we see the world. So when we think about Isaiah 43, 1 through 3, we don't want it to just be this head knowledge of he's with you, but it's by understanding the power of the cross where it gets to here, your heart. So, Question two, so first question, what is grace? Second question, what does grace invite us into? Relationship, intimacy with Christ. Think John 17, my favorite uh, chapter in the Bible. It's the high priestly prayer. And it's pretty incredible because you have Jesus, our Savior, is thanking God for the disciples that God has given him. But he has this overall desire that the disciples may be one as he and the Father are one, and the Holy Spirit are one, the triune Godhead. It's this desire for unity that the Godhead experiences that Christ wants for us. When we talk about faith here at Door of Hope, we don't want to just talk about God. We want to talk about Jesus, and we want to talk about the Holy Spirit. It's three in one. It's hard to explain, but it's very important. And it's that relationship that we're invited into. But still, once again, it's this battle, right? So in my head, I can tell you about the Trinity. I can't explain it. It's above my pay grade. But I can tell you about it. I can show you passages in Scripture that talks about it. I can talk to you about John 17 being such a balm to my soul when I get lonely, when I kind of wonder about this whole Christianity thing, then I see Jesus praying for those who will believe in the words of the disciples, which means us that are here today. Yet, it's the intimacy that frightens me. Once again, I'm thankful for it. I cherish it. But if it's a cup, I'm going to place it like right here and just kind of look at it. Because I struggle with this feeling of being unworthy. So we have the repentant thief, Luke 23, 39 through 43. Uh, just break that down really fast. It's the thief that's on the cross who does nothing to earn his way into heaven, which 
still is mind-blowing. Or we have Martha. Martha's more my style. She's my girl. Uh, she's the one who's like busy about working, setting up the meal while Mary's sitting at the feet of Christ. And then Jesus says, Mary chose the better thing. So it's a mixture of that, but then it makes me jump to Luke 18, 9 through 14. And that's the tax collector. I know we're coming out of April, so maybe some people are a little bit triggered. But, um, but it's this tax collector who's in the back of the room beating his chest, feeling so unworthy, so unworthy just to be there. But he's praying to God. And then you, you juxtapose that to the Pharisee that's in the front that's praying boldly proudly. And my mistake can be simply this. Well, I can think, well, Martha doesn't want to spend time with Jesus, and she's busy serving, and that's not good. You've got to spend time with Jesus. But serving is important. And then, yes, the thief gets in, and well, Jesus would let him in because he's Jesus. He's our Lord and Savior. He's big about extending that grace. But then when I look at the tax collector— I can look at it, well, he's praying to God. He's, he's understanding that he's unworthy. But then I have to be honest about this. A lot of my fear of intimacy with Christ comes from fear and pride. I can focus on the fear and be like, ah, well, intimacy with God, and like, I feel so unworthy. But it's really this pride that I'm telling the ancient of days who sent his son to die on the cross and rise again on the third day, that what he did was not enough. So I justify it by sitting in the back, being like, I'm just happy to be here. That cup of water looks real good. I'm unworthy to drink it, though. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses, And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me that I am his own. And the words we share as we tarry there reminds me that I'm never alone. This is not merely an invitation so that you may be a worker in the garden. It's an invitation that you are a child. He wants to be with you. Our king does not need us. So I should not flatter myself in such a way. But he wants to be with us. So, some of you guys may not know, I've mentioned it a little bit. So, I spent the first nine years of my life in uh, foster care, uh, in the Illinois uh, foster care system. I also like, I did that analogy about a cup when I had like a cup right there. (laughs) Reworked that for the second service. But, um, (laughs) So, um, in foster care, which was a wild ride, I would not give that a five out of five on Yelp, but, you know, we'll get them next time. But <laughs> we, I would bounce around so many different homes. So, I had my big brother, John Tay. Then there's John Tell. My name's John Mel. Then I have this little sister named... Charmian, we had a sister who died at an early age named Charmita. So we uh, would bounce around at these different homes. 
and Jontel, Jonte would always be with me in these different homes, keep me safe. But what was planting the seeds was, if anything would ever go wrong, you'd get switched to a different home. I think I was with my full-blood siblings maybe three or four times in that time, in a children's home, and it would be the best. Yet, something would happen and we'd get split up again. Which taught me that, well, you've got to be really polite. Best foot forward. Um, you never want to be a bother. You need to earn your place at these different homes. Then I was blessed to be adopted, right? And there, just with kind of growing up in a more like, a little bit harder, fundamental Baptist background, it was even more fuel of, well, I need to earn it because I don't belong here. I'm not worthy. But then once you turn 18, all that stuff stops, you know, like all the trauma and different things has no effect on your future. Just keep skating on through, which I thought that until my life blew up when I was 24 years old. I was at Moody Bible Institute, and in the world's eyes, within Moody, I was kind of the dude. Like, everyone knew me. I knew most of the school. I had three different jobs, which is not ideal. I was an RA as well. Like, world's eyes, everything was great. But inside, I was dying. Because I was having this moment, this white knuckling of trying to prove that I'm worth it. I am enough. I can earn it. The people who gave up on me or kicked me out, they made the wrong choice, and I'm going to prove why by working even harder. Being here at Door of Hope, it's been such a challenge because really the staff here and you guys don't really care what I do. You guys just love me, which drives me crazy because I'm like, oh, so if I work, if I do this or show up then or there or do such and such or talk to so-and-so, it's like, no, we just like being with you. We love you and like you. As Josh would beautifully say, uh, Jesus is crazy about you on your worst day. Isaiah 43, 1 through 3, once again. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For, what, for I am the Lord your God, Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I will give Egypt for your ransom and Cush and Seba in your stead. It's this tension. Because for some of us, we can read that. It's all right, all right, all right. It's good stuff. It saves. And for others, there's still this, this aching. We read it, but we can't taste it. So I want to give you all hope. Isaiah 42, 1 through 3. Here's my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he'll bring justice to the nations, and he will not shout or cry out 
or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not put out. Whether you feel like you are a raging fire for God. The years have been good recently, and it's, your, your faith has grown into a tree. It's firm. The roots go deep. We want to celebrate with you here at Dorfolk. You're welcome here. But if you feel like you are a bruised reed and a smoldering wick, you are welcome here at Door of Hope. Our king will not snuff you out. He longs to be with you. It's of the reality of who he is and what he did, which gives us the light to live in who we are in him. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I have received my sight, and now I'm happy all the day. What should our response be, brother and sister? Accept it. Bask in the glory with it, and then live life in him. The mistake that Private Ryan made, circling all the way back, is that he was given a great gift, and a destructive message from the world was given to him, and he lived in the shadow of what that caused. When we have the opportunity to live in the light of who he is and have hope in this fallen world. I'm going to close this in prayer.